welcome to Talking Um Uh, Jimmy Stewart. I'm Tim Vanderberg, and in this episode, I'm joined by my good friend and fellow Jimmy Stewart fan, Michael Hutton. We visit with actor Jim Caviezel. You know Jim from the hit CBS TV series, Person of Interest, and of course, from films such as The Passion of the Christ and The Count of Monte Cristo. But what you may not know is the influence that Jimmy Stewart played on his life. He talked to us about that shortly before receiving the 2015 Harvey Award from the Jimmy Stewart Museum in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Please note, so that Jim could meet as many fans as possible and talk to folks from the media, our time together was short. In fact, you'll hear a little bit of rumbling outside the hotel conference room where we talked as people gathered to meet with him. Hopefully, it's not too distracting. Enjoy. Jim Caviezel, welcome. We're glad you're here, and we, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. It's a pleasure. Thank so you. We're, we're big fans of Jimmy Stewart as well, and it was a surprise to hear you know, that you had a direct tie to him, and we look mm. forward to hearing all the details about that. Um, John Wooden was also a big influence in your life, yes. and uh, I'd like to hear the backstory of that. Obviously, your dad, he, he coached your father, right? Yes, my, he coached my father. Uh, my, my dad grew up in the state of Washington, and he was offered a full-ride scholarship to UCLA to play basketball. My dad was the player of the year when he was a senior, and, and uh, UCLA picked him up. And uh, when I was a boy, um, my dad would, you know, started playing basketball as a kid. And the first thing he taught me was shoes and socks. And that was one of the simple things that uh, John Wooden uh, taught his players because you put your sock on wrong, you get a crease, you play with a crease in your foot, you have a you, the blister and eventually a blood blister and then it gets infected and then suddenly one of your starting centers isn't playing in the game off something just very simple. Life's very simple, you know. Yeah. When you button your shirt, you start on the first one and you got to make it. It's hard to correct it uh, later down the line when it's crooked. So you got to start on the right one. And uh, wouldn't have that uh, philosophy that was passed to my father and, and to me. So fundamentals, and from that I would think a good teaching opportunity for him that everything starts step by step. Well, he had the, exactly, he had the pyramid of success, John Wooden, and the two cornerstones that never changed when he, uh, I knew him personally, um, and the two cornerstones were, were enthusiasm and industriousness, industriousness being the work ethic and enthusiasm being God within and the spirit. Um, with that spirit, you will always have gratitude. You will always have appreciation. No matter how hard things get, um, you're like, hey, this is going to be a good thing, even even though it might not feel so good. And you think about it. You know, you go into practice, and they push you. Uh, they certainly did when I was a camper for Coach Wooden. And uh, you'd throw up. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's amazing when you get to a point where you threw up and you're like, good, let's go, game on. Get in the fourth quarter, and the, your opponent, he's like, this guy just won't give up. And that um, that uh, mo most guys are screaming in pain. You're like, bring it on, you know? And uh, those are great coaches. They get to that level. Yeah. And he certainly did. So the more suffering you endure, you realize how much you can take. Uh, like, for example, the Passion of the Christ. Uh, Who would have thought, you know, some guy is a basketball player? I did not know that that's where I was going to go uh, into acting and stuff. Yes, I had 
I impersonated my teammates. I did all that stuff, but I didn't know that that was going to happen. Maybe about five years before I became an actor, I thought, man, maybe I should do it. No, I'll do, I'll go to the Naval Academy or something. So I applied there and then I didn't get in. I tried again and didn't get in and tried again. And then I had a shot and, and in 91, I came down to LA and, and a roundabout way. I and it, it was a long, long road. Um, but, when you, if we fast forward to the Passion of the Christ, if we would have shot that movie in a studio, you would have never seen that performance. It came through incredible amount of suffering. One, my shoulder was dislocated. Two, I had double pneumonia, both right and left lung. I had a, a virus that was unbelievable, and then I had atrial fibrillation from just the hypothermia that was so cold, and the headaches and the nausea. I couldn't keep anything down. I was so sick. And, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, who'd have thought that basketball, uh, well, just the simple things of pushing you so far where you wanted to, you know, throw up and quit and you just kept going. It, it ended up playing a big part. The industriousness, the work ethic that Wooden talked about really was a big part of the reason why I didn't quit. I stayed in the moment. And if I looked too far out ahead, you know, that we're going to be here for five and a half months, I would have quit. But I just stayed in the moment, stayed in that quarter, stayed in that play. And one play after another, finally it was completed, and you just look around going, how did this happen? The spirit is is that every day, like, I try to find something to be grateful for, something that would, uh, the, the, the gratitude, appreciation, life, zest for life. And then many times, in my business, I get to be around a lot of wealthy, famous actors that have lost that. You know, that there are certain moral guidelines that we have to follow mm-hmm. in that work work ethic that we do, the mental, the physical, but that spirit element is what keeps us having that zest for life, that, that uh, staying gratitude, you see. And uh, I'm so lucky that I have the family that are around me um, and my friends that have really um, that share those same principles, or at least are trying to, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the themes, biggest theme of "It's a Wonderful Life" is how one life affects oh, so yeah. many other lives. And you met Jimmy Stewart I at did. one of these acting functions, or was that it was for President Bush? Was that yes, correct, President Bush? Okay, senior. let's back up for a second. Sure. How did? How did that job come about? You were a waiter. I was doing a. I was waitering at a party for Fox, and this big selection was coming up where they had certain people, and I had, uh, you know, I was trying to make money. I didn't have much at the time, and um, so I took waitering jobs and different things like that. It was a 20th Century Fox um, party, and and uh, the head waiter said, "Hey." I worked hard. He said, hey, do you do you want to fill in? And I said, yeah, sure. And I didn't know who Jerry Weintraub was, mm-hmm. ba- major uh, film movie producer, um, producer for music, Elvis Presley and, and whatnot. He did a, incredible things. Um, and so his uh, mansion was on the uh, Malibu, uh, on the water. They had about a two-week security, maybe three-week security check on it, each one of us. Um, we would go. We went to the uh, uh, the mansion, uh, Weintraub's mansion. But before we even got there, we met at a certain place, and unknown 
uh, uh, no terms were we to talk to any of these movie stars or celebrities, and they were the best. They were the A-list of that time that were there. And uh, so that was the first time I ever seen that many movie stars or uh, actors and um, music stars and whatnot. And um, starstruck at all? Oh yeah, yeah, sure I was. But you know, I was at that point I was very nervous because when they uh, the the we, when we were passing out you know, the party prior to that there were plastic cups. This one was the first time I had to handle crystal. And, uh, so I had to hold it with two hands. I couldn't balance it with one. Um, (laughs) I was 22 years old. There was a a huge line to meet the president of the United States. And it was like, you know, five lines of people, not just one single file. It was like five lines and they're all funneling down to, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bush were there. And then uh, next to them was the Marine that held the football. And I, I had, I got to speak a little bit to him of like, you know, wow, you know, that's like the button that you press if we go to war here and everything. It was amazing. So it's just that, that kind of detail. I never forget that we were in the line and I, there's Warren Beatty, there's, you know, Julie Andrews and Janet Jackson and, and, um, uh, so I'm, I'm the, I know I'm the lowest on the totem pole as far as being the kid from Mount Vernon, Washington, thinking, why, how, how is this even possible that I might even consider doing this? And I think that was really hard to think of why, why, you know, part of me was, you can't do this. And then part of me was like, well, why not? And, um, in the line, all of a sudden, Jimmy Stewart walks by all six foot four of them. And I went, Oh my gosh, there goes. It's a wonderful life. And we were told if you, no uncertain terms. If you talk to him, we will fire you. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll get fired for talking to him. <laughs> so right. I thought, well, what can I do? So I, I was like, hey, uh, Mr. Stewart, you want something to drink? And he goes, oh, yeah, I love a scotch and soda, you know. And I said, all right. So I go get him a drink, come over. And I said, hey, you know, I applied to U.S. Naval Academy. I know he was amazed that I knew all this stuff about him. Yeah. I started whipping things out. And you were on the, the you flew the liberators and everything. Record. Boom, boom, over 20 missions. He's, uh, you, yeah. Malt, do you know Walter Matthau was, was under, he, he was under you, you know, he, I mean, just, he was baffled that I knew yeah. all this about him. Well, and your youth probably stood out to him too. Here's a younger, a, a member of the younger generation. And he, he knows about what I did. I mean, I'm, this was, this was the last, you know, this is 91. So this is, you know, and his wife was still with him. Uh, and, and this is the last part of his life. You know, uh, he, he, I believe he died in 98 or seven, seven, yes. July of 97. Correct. That's right. Um, so we, we talked for a while and I, and I was like, well, you know, I wanted to, I said, well, I wanted to know what it's like to be an actor. And I thought he were, he was the closest thing to me be, on, the fact work is I grew up near a Whidbey Island air station. My dad used to take me to the Blue Angels. I often thought about becoming a fighter pilot. I loved the Navy SEALs. I loved that adventure. Hollywood, the reason why I really wanted to do the Hollywood is because my friends, that's impossible. Yeah. I mean, that you're never going to do that. And that that's was a like, shot. yeah, I'll, sh- I'll show you. So 
it, 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 and and that was the, the 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 end all for me. But I came down and I was getting battered down there, and I've been down there several months. And that while I was doing this, and it was out of desperation, really asking him, like, how do you do this? I mean, how do you get a shot? How, you know? And he, he and and I turned no sooner he's talking and whatever, and we're in complete uh, conversation. Mrs. Stewart was right there, and I turn around and there's the head waiter of the whole thing. I mean, we were told not to speak to any of them. Right. And it was with also with the Secret Service that was in charge of, you know, there was just was no messing around. And he put his thumb uh, from his one ear, cutting his neck to his other ear, mm. and said, you're gone. And I went, oh, and he saw it. And I said, I'm sorry. And I turned and I walked up and he says, young man. You you make good movies, and you know when you look at the movie, it's a wonderful life. You know mm -hmm. the whole idea that if you weren't around, how what would have happened? And that story, Jimmy Stewart is a man who is he had taken the hard road, hard road, and he finally gives up. He says, "I don't want to even be here. I want to kill myself." And the angel says to him, "Okay, let me show you what." would have been like without you. But how ironic is it that when, if we really believe that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, if we really, and I do with all my heart, and I, I will share my faith to any, it's no, I, I, I'm unabashed about that. Yeah, and I, I love him. And I, and I sat there and I said, I kept thinking, when I was, getting offered the passion and when people called and said do not do this movie it's this it's that and i said you don't know what it is you've never read this script i've read this script you don't know the gospels i know the gospels well tell me about the and they couldn't tell me anything i said so you don't know whether it is what they say this negative all the negative press on hmm. i said that, that that's that's absolutely false and and i remember thinking after the movie was over and the reaction, I thought, Jimmy Stewart probably knew ahead of time when Jesus said, hey, I need you to pray for this little cat down there because that kid that came up to you and you went up to him and you said those things, he's going to play me. And we got to pray for him because it's 97 when he died and I got I had, I had five more years until I right. played that. And I'll tell you, I sweated that, that through that, everything, every suffering that I ever felt. And I remember when Mel first showed that movie and I sat there and I just pulled my eyes out. I didn't even know who, uh, who that guy was. I got to see. First, I tried to play Jesus, but that was the wrong portrayal. It was him playing me. Wow. And I, and, and I thought, you know, Jimmy Stewart had a hand. He was like my angel, you know, uh, in some way. And, and, you know, we're, you know, thank you for, for taking that time for that young man. Thank you for taking that time with that young man because now I want to show you what this kid's going to do. You know, you never know when a kid comes up to you. And I always think about that mm. myself. If I could ever help, you know, or have a hand in someone else's life or, or, or say the right thing, I, I try to do it. I'm trying to do it right here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's we don't always get it right. But, you know, after I met with uh, Jimmy Stewart at that um party there was a oh i'd heard he was really sick so i 
you know, because they have star tours and they drive by these celebrities' homes. So you always knew where Jimmy Stewart's house was. You knew where Lucille Ball's right next to his. And I would drop off his house and drop him a card, get well. And um, I had a card for him to, uh, a, a, a picture for him to sign. And and I'd never done that ever since. And um, the maid told me to come back later. So I came back and there was Mr. and Mrs. Stewart there. He was by the piano. Came in there, and uh, they didn't have the, they didn't have the uh, uh, photo. They lost it. But I got something better. I turned to him and I just said, as I was walking out, I just said, I just want to know, you to know, I just love you. And uh, Mrs. Stewart cried, and I, I and I uh, turned around, and walked out. A few more weeks, I got the thin red line. I went and I wrote him a card, and I said, I made it. I mean, at that point, I looked like it was going to, at that, the best I've ever gotten any opportunity. But that's how he affected me when I was, the reason why I know that is because in 97, I was filming The Thin Red Line. It didn't come out till 99, but while the first scene that I had with Sean Penn that day, so is it July 3rd, July 7th? July 7th? Somewhere in there. Is it the second? It was early July, yeah. first week of July. He he died, passed, and I remember I was in the car driving out, and that was the first scene, um, the movie I had with Sean Penn that that's in the Thin Red Line. Um, that was the day that we filmed it. Was when he died. So, you know, in some ways, he's been like an angel to me. And you make good movies. When he told me that. Never changed. Wow. It's always been that way. Doesn't mean I don't play the bad guys in movies. It means the story is some form of redemption in it. And then anything that has redemption and has truth in it. And those right. are those are the things I'm drawn to. See you made some back to back good movies after the yeah. thin red line, I'd say I like did. frequency. Yes. Um uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, mm -hmm. which I would say your look in that movie had to have contributed to your casting as Jesus. Mm. So I saw yeah, that. I thought, that's Mel saw that. Mel saw that. Mel saw that one in the Thin Red Line and said, "I'm not. I'm going to do this movie, and it, I don't want any Americans." Although I may, he told me he says, "Oh, maybe this Jim Caviezel guy. I'm not sure." He knew your name. Yeah, and, and then he. But then, then you know, I took a meeting and. Took a meeting with him, you know, and it wasn't actually, it was just him and his producing partner, Steve McAvity, who did the Braveheart with him and, you know, really his right hand man in some of the greatest stuff he's ever done. And I met with him, and then Mel shows up and he's talking about this, that. And, and I, I mean, I had this intuition, I guess, that I felt that he, this wasn't the movie. He had, he was casting this movie called Mavericks. Mm -hmm. And I read the script and I go, this isn't that good. I mean, it, it's missing a lot of stuff. It just wasn't there. And I said, Do you, you want me to play Jesus, don't you? And he couldn't believe I said that. And I couldn't believe I said it either. And he goes, yeah. I had wow. I had felt like I knew I was going to die the next day was the knowing that I this what the, what this was all about, and then he goes yeah and I, I said okay. He didn't even send me the script. 
he called me two days later. He called me at home. He goes, hey, Jim, it's Mel. I said, Mel, Mel who? He goes, hey, Mel Brooks. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, you still want to play this Jesus guy? I said, um, yeah. And he goes, if you play this Jesus, you may never work in this town again. And I got quiet. And, and I just said something that was absolutely not for me. I just said, look, man, we're all called to carry our cross. If you don't pick up and carry your cross, you will be crushed by the weight of it. And he got quiet on the phone. And then I said, oh, my God. He said, what? I said, I just realized my initials are JC and I'm 33 years old. He says, God, you're freaking me out. And he hung up the phone. You're hired, kid. That's what happened. That is amazing. That is absolutely what happened. And, you know, the movie doesn't pull any punches. It really defines. It is the definitive version of love and truth. You know, someone said to me a long time ago, years ago, you know, many of the face got it wrong. It was all, it was all uh, truth and no love, and that's fire and brimstone. But nowadays, it's all love with no truth, and that's sentimental hogwash. Mm-hmm. There's a balance. You can't have one without the other. And we have, there's some ply in point. There, is, there, there has to be obedience under heaven. We have to comply to those rules. And, and with that, by doing that, we create unity. By being disobedient, we create disunity. Wars ensue, you know, um, uh, and war in the home, war in the family, division. I mean, it's just, it's constant now. You see it everywhere. And this is not our America. When we see Iwo Jima in the war memorial, you see a, a group of men, United Marines, on a on a front to to lift their flag that God mm-hmm. gave us. Now people, they, they're okay with country, but not with God. How can you have a country without God? It, 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 there's, there's, and how can you have a family without it? It, it just more, chan- you know, the chance for things to go wrong are uh, just multiplying now and, and because we've turned our back. Um, and, you know, people say, well, you don't turn, tell your thing, religion, on me. You know, don't put your thing on me. I said, right, but you do that to me every day. You tell me where I can and can't put my cross or my, uh, even my flag now. You know, people don't uh, want the flag. They're, they're proud to burn it. And then they're upset when a, a, a Christian minister puts a cross above the flag. He says, well, I'm sorry. I, I have to put God, since you're taking the... But you should, since you're taking the God out of the, the flag, then why are you so offended when I put my cross above the flag? So you don't mind when they burn the flag. You're only upset now because I put a cross above the flag. You know, I, I thought that was profound. But our forefathers got it right. And we were very fortunate. And we have to hold true to those. I uh, love the saying that every generation of Americans needs to know that freedom exists not to do what you like but having the right to do what you ought. Okay. Right. Well, just as we're talking about um, the Passion of the Christ a sure. little bit, uh, you you did this part in Aramaic. Aramaic, Hebrew, and Latin. Aramaic, Hebrew, and Latin. Yeah. Did that illuminate Scripture to you? Uh, it was intimidating. When I first did it, 
I remember thinking, oh, they don't know my secret. I'm, see, I'm, I'm really dumb. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I really didn't think that I, look, I mean, look, I, I, I was, I got, you know, a D in algebra and different things, but I, you know, but I came back and got an A. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it, it was, I, I really, <laughs> yes, I'll answer your question. Eventually, it illuminated me. It's great. Okay. extent and I'm so glad I mean when I first when Mel brought that to my attention he went yeah we're going to do this in Aramaic ah oh, yeah right and he goes no we are you're not kidding no I'm not and we're going to do it in uh, uh, Hebrew too we got it. What do they do? Yeah, yeah we'll do some Hebrew and then Greek no Latin yeah let's do it in Latin uh, uh, I just sat there and Whoa. fell back and I went white I was like I don't I don't know if I'm the right guy for this job, you know. But I didn't know I had that facility, you know, of of languages. I had no idea, you know. But that's if I was going to tell young people, I said, don't let people define you. You know, I was defined. You're from a smaller town. You're going to get defined. They don't know your talents. You don't know their their talents that we all have that are hidden that for years. But we um, think that it's, it's kind of like the old analogy with a gnat. You can put a gnat in a jar, put the top on it. You can train a gnat. He'll bounce, 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 hit the hit the top of the surface when you you, you know you cover up the jar with the the right. lid. Right. Take the lid off, and that won't jump out. He just jump as that high. It's like an elephant, you know. You tie him up with a big chain when they're little, and they pull and pull and pull and can't do it. Then when they get huge, you can just use a little rope, tie it on his leg. He'll never break off that that tree because in his mind he's been trained. So. I had to be reached, untrained, that I could do this. And uh, that was a great gift in itself, you know. Well, and time and again in the scriptures, it's the person who is the least who God calls. And it's not about <laughs> someone who's, I, a, you know, obviously a great speaker. I was know? on the negative side. So you <laughs> go least and then zero and then put the negative <laughs> with, the, with the minus. That's a, it's a, can we take a look at your lightning scars? No, All right. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we wished we'd had a little more time, but there was a big agenda that night. Jim is an amazing guy, and we were really struck by Jim's love for our country. Maybe there's a political career in his future. Or given his heroic role on POI, we thought he might fit into the Marvel or DC universe at some point. Who knows? But for now, thanks for listening.